Welcome to Title Talk, a podcast where we discuss all things real estate, from title-related issues, entrepreneurial up and downs, mortgage lending, and more. Now, your host of Title Talk, Claude and Bob. And we're back with part two of episode five with Scott Drennan. So we talked about a little bit about the urban use of, I guess, what you, we layman people call the drone, right? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine the, the neighborhood apps with all the people talking about <laughs> something dropping in the ring? My ring went off and I, I saw a drone in my front yard. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is the time frame on that, the practical applications of that? We're looking at, you know, commercial pilot projects right now. Um, so we can tie the technology maturation to the business maturation. We're looking at that here uh, locally. There's a really exciting program coming up through uh, Hillwood, our, our partners on the real estate end. They want to build a mobility innovation zone out at Alliance, Texas, and uh, we're just all on board there with them. And we'd like to start demonstrating, you know, viable commercial pilots out there with, um, you know, initially the logistics mover, the goods mover, and then also uh, later on the people mover. So on the logistics side, I, you know, I think depending on where, so if it's remote, it could be three to five years, we'll see it. Um, as it's more urban, that, that starts to line up more with the timelines that we talked about before with the people, because although there's not people on board, if you're in a fully urban environment, there's people below. So right. the safety of the folks on the ground is just as important as it is in the air. All right, I wanted to go back just a second for yeah. the layman. You talk about a 60 mile range. Why not just double the batteries? Or have it, or have a backup or a second set of battery to take over when the first one either you know reaches its minimum level of comfort. Yep. So um, it's a great question. I, I love talking about stuff like this. It gets into the details of what my team does every day. So when we do a conceptual design loop, a synthesis loop of a vehicle, you can't just add more weight and still have the vehicle configuration close. So if we doubled the weight of our batteries and our batteries um, for the Nexus vehicle, they weigh in at about 2000 pounds. If oh, we so you're double- not, You're not talking a couple of double A batteries here. No, <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> many, many, right. uh, many cells, thousands of cells. So when you add that weight in, that loop oftentimes won't close. That is the work that we do in conceptual design is to find an aircraft configuration with certain requirements, range, payload, speed, that, and then you know, there's physical requirements too. We're, we're talking about a basically a 50 by 50 foot box that these vehicles need to fit in. And so if you keep adding weight and you don't have any space like that to get bigger and bigger and bigger, your uh, solution won't close. But we will take advantage of, you know, packing efficiencies, the chemical um, density, the energy density improvements, and, and that'll help us get there faster because it doesn't add to the weight equation. Right. One thing is the vehicle, right? So you've got the vehicle, a prototype. What about everything that kind of goes with transportation, right? So you're talking about airspace, you're talking about certification, you're talking about, I guess, eventually some congestion in the air. Yep. So how, you know, there's one thing that you've got your team working on the technology of the vehicle. I assume you have a whole another team or group of folks that are working on everything else that comes in with the FAA and the government and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We try to keep them all in one place because we think about innovation as not only doing technology, but business innovation, 
innovation in cert, innovation in regulation. Um, but your question is is fantastic. So what, the way we frame it at Bell is we talk about four, maybe five frameworks, and they are operations, certification, manufacturing, technology, and then the business model that sort of is an umbrella of all those things. And if you notice that order that I just laid it out in, technology is at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that's my kind of check your ego at the door moment. The technology is actually the easiest part. When I put 150 good engineers in the room and the physics says you can, we'll figure out a way to do it. The harder stuff is around operations. And I'll, I'll just pick on each of the things that you talked about. So operations are two things. One, they're flight operations, and two, they're maintenance operations. And besides being complex just to execute, they are critical for the safe operation of the vehicle, the total operation. So a lot of people say, is your vehicle safe? Well, vehicle safety is only one part of it. Flight safety is another part. Maintenance safety is is another part. And guess what? In the helicopter world, it's usually flight and maintenance problems that create our issues. That's like 70 to 80% of all incidents are related to those human factors. So op- flight operations is critical in terms of how do you find the number of pilots that you need? <clears throat> how do these vehicles act when they're out in the airspace? It's one thing to just have a big clear plot of land fly it around. It's kind of easy to understand, but you mentioned the congestion. We have to operate these vehicles in airspaces that are already occupied by the big metal at DFW uh, to the, the general aviation folks that fly around their Cessna 142s. And so what one of the things that's happening there is NASA developed what was called an unmanned traffic management system. And we, um, as lay folks, we need to think of it as a micro air traffic management system that manages the local traffic of air taxis and unmanned logistics vehicles like we're talking about, but that's tied to the national airspace system and does deconfliction at kind of a local level, you know, a federated level, but then always talks to that bigger system. So those things are in in work. Uh, That NASA project, and this is why NASA is so great, their goal is to take, you know, leading edge technology and port it out to industry, U.S. industry. That now has spawned nine companies that are doing what are called unmanned um, service system models. And they're going to provide this airspace management in different cities around the world. And we're partnered up with a couple great ones there. Uh, So that's a big one, that operational piece. Now, maintenance. So again, safety, but let's think about it economically. If I'm saying that I'm going to make a vehicle that, you know, all of us can afford and the daily commuter can afford, well, I better do my maintenance really well. So I need to know everything I can about the aircraft and it needs to come into an automated system and you need to make decisions prior to the aircraft having to be grounded because the thing about aircraft is if they're on the ground, they're not making any money. So our maintenance system not only has to be safe, so good training, simple designs that can be dealt with in clear, uh, efficient ways, but also we have to have this a priori state of knowledge so our supply chain can be prepared at any time to replace 2,000 pounds of batteries, to replace, you know, 12, you know, 20 motors, whatever uh, the vehicle uses, and uh, do it in, in a way that's modular and very quick. So great questions about operations. CERT, you mentioned CERT as well. So 
it's already a challenge to certify what we call legacy vehicles. So vehicles that we're all familiar with, helicopters. How long have they been around? How long have we been certifying them? Well, 80 years in Bell's case. And that's always difficult because technology is is new and you never want to just assume that your past actions are creating safe vehicles. Add to that new technology. So we talked about electric propulsion or more electric propulsion. We're talking about distributed propulsion. So when you look at the Nexus vehicle, what do you see instead of one big single hub, you see four ducted fans. And there's other designs out there that have eight or 12. Distributed propulsion is great for all the things we're talking about, the economics, the the operational models, but it's new. It puts the power effector and the control effector in the same place, which is very unique for a vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Normally you have your engine and it's making power and then you have your hub and it's making control. Now we've kind of mixed them together. So these are things that, you know, guys like me and my gang think about all the time because we're paid to be on the leading edge of technology at any given moment to ensure the future for our company. But the FAA has a lot of other stuff to do too. And so it makes for a challenge in trying to get things certified. I look at that as an opportunity for us to work together. A lot of people love to take that moment and take what I just said and say, you know what, they're the problem, they're slowing us down. But when you think about the people behind that activity, you need to be fair about what they're doing every day and what their role is and what their their goals are versus what our goals are. Now we have sh- shared common goals, which is safety. So that's where we find common ground, but we also have to get with each other earlier. We've done too many times in the past things like, well, now I need something. So now I'm going to inform you about what it is. And then I expect you to give me what I need in two days. We need to go early and often with those folks and overcome it. The other big challenge in certification is autonomy. We're asking a system that has thrived with great pilots as the backbone of safety and successful operations. And now we're saying, trust the computer. It can do it too. And that's a whole different certification uh, aspect because software, there's these buzzwords out there for these systems, non-deterministic or deterministic. And you're going to, you probably can't do a non-deterministic system in commercial uh, applications. Uh, So you got to back up, be be modest about what you're doing, understand all the states and and make it safe. And then the third one I I mentioned uh, is manufacturing. So can you imagine a a company like ours that depends on, you know, these mechanical systems? So a gas turbine, a big mechanical transmission and a big complex dynamic hub. Those three things being replaced with batteries, high voltage power electronics and small hubs. You have to start thinking about how you make things differently. You have to start thinking about different talent that you bring into the factory. And so that's another big thing. And we have a whole another group working on our future factory, not only for, you know, when we win the the next big uh, military, you know, FEL contract, but also for the Nexus, because it's a different rate, it's a different technology, and you've got to always bring those to bear on it. So all the stuff we were talking about before, it's the sexiest and the funnest, but it's the easiest, actually. So I appreciate that question. If I could drop the mic, I would right now, but it's, <laughs> it's fixed. A lot to go off of there, but but I wanted to kind of pivot just a little bit in the sense of, again, we've talked about the mission and the mission being getting Bob and Claude from their office to Fort Worth. Yeah. 
but how do I get from my office to the heliport to my meeting and vice versa? So you, are you, I assume there's, there's components of that in ride sharing that Bell is evaluating partnerships with. Where do you all stand on that, if, if you can even talk about it? Yeah, sure. And it's another, it's another great question. We call that a multimodal problem. So you can't have a Nexus Air taxi in everyone's driveway. So you're going to have these centers of movement that we can talk about as well. But you got to get there first. So you got to have another mode, whether that's your feet, a scooter, a bike, or a car, taking you efficiently to the vertiport and then efficiently loading you guys on board and then taking you to the next place that probably isn't your final destination or it could be, but usually isn't. And then you close that last mile. So first and last mile. So ride sharing partnerships are really strong. You know, Uber's leading the you know, way in all, a lot of this. Um, other ride sharing folks are looking at it too. When you think about though, any other people that operate fleets of ground vehicles, so maybe even rental car type partnerships, maybe partnerships with the city who has a set of other modes of transportation, trains, subways, buses. How do you connect efficiently to those? And then a third area is kind of that, that area of, well, wait a minute, you know, automobile manufacturers, they don't operate fleets of vehicles today, but maybe they'd like to in the future. And what kind of partnerships could be formed up there in order to get that whole multimodal loop that you talked about from my house to my destination and back closed in the most efficient way. So those partnerships are really interesting from operational standpoint, but you can also find lots of technology crossover in those as well. So who are the folks that, you know, manufacture things at scale most efficiently in the world? Automobile folks. Oh, well, look, automobiles are trying to go autonomously as well. So they have sensors that we are interested in. They have computer algorithms, software algorithms that we're interested in. Oh, by the way, cars are going more electric as well, hybrid and electric. They have motors, batteries. Where are those places that not only operationally it makes sense so we can do the A to B with uh, Bob and Claude, but um, where can we also discover common technologies, which ultimately all results in a cost benefit to the end user? Because if I can find a motor that works on a car, and they make millions of those a year, and I need you know tens of thousands, there's that economy of scale, there's that reliability, the quality, and uh, that's really exciting too. Do you think that's the kind of mindset behind the, the investment Toyota made in, in Joby? Yeah, I think, uh, I can't get into too many of the specifics of that, but I think it's the mindset, right? You see the technology crossover, you see the operational crossover, and it, ma it makes sense. Um, it's great to have uh, the competition like that. Competition is good, <laughs> and, and, and it's on, So you know, especially when there's folks like that involved. Well, so, so that's a good, good segue to, you know, Joby is a private company. Mm -hmm. Bell is owned by a publicly traded company. So being publicly or owned by a publicly traded company, is it harder for Bell to be first to the market with it? Well, I think there's um, in innovation, there's challenges and opportunities for legacy companies like ours or, or you know, publicly traded companies. And then the same thing on the startup side. And I, I'd love to just focus on that a little bit. On the legacy side, the benefits of being a, a part of that is you have a lot of history, a lot of learning. 
and in a sense on the and that that could be good for you but it can also hurt you right because you know a lot about the past and if you focus too much on a past that looks like it's going to change in the future you can get stuck so your innovation approach has to be fundamentally different what i talk about with my gang is we've got some bell barnacles you know they grow on us over time uh they're part of us uh, there's goodness to them because they might protect us, but we can't have too many because the system will get really draggy. If you look at a startup, the benefit, you know, opportunities and risks, startups don't know what they don't know. And that can be great for agility and moving first to market. But it's also the weakness is, you know, what, what am I going to overlook? You know, there's a lot of times I talk about if you're a legacy company, and I think this applies in my industry or any other industries versus the startup, you'll tend to overshoot if you're a legacy. You'll tend to undershoot if you're a startup. Where's that middle ground? And I think, um, you know, Mitch, when he asked me to set up the innovation team, that, that's what he was trying to address. You know, how can we use the strengths of a legacy company uh, with all of our process and all of our history, but bring some speed, more speed and more agility. We're already kind of fast as a company. We're on the smaller side of VTOL, but um, we can still play with the big boys. But uh, it was about doing that entrepreneurial work inside of a system that already existed rather than that entrepreneurial work that is usually associated with startups that have to, you know, start from, you know, Greenfield or White Shoe. Well, that brings up a good point on, you, you mentioned you guys are on the leading edge of technology, but then how do you guys differ, I guess, from Claude and I, when we're looking at bringing something to market or generating revenue, our timeframes are so short, mm. right? So we have a new venture. We know whether in 90 days it's going to work. Right. <laughs> For you guys on the leading edge of technology, you're talking 10 years from now. Yeah. How do you, as you're working on it, don't get ahead of yourself and saying, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? Right. Yeah. Because for me, if it takes 90 days for us to, let's say we're recruiting someone or we're opening an office or we do, if it's six months, I'm like, man, I'm kind of bored. Let's go to the next one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, it's for us, it's like, okay, how much the chase is really, you know, with then landing, whatever that is. And, but your chase is so long. Yeah. How do you keep focus on that? Well, one thing, you know, engineers are different kind of people. You know, my wife teases me when she watches me do a project. I have this sort of methodical way of working through kind of what she would think as boring stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we're wired a little bit differently than um, a lot of folks. Not good or bad, just good because we're different. But the way we address that, it's an interesting approach. Like we do at Bell, we do full scale, you know, full power system level testing of all those technologies. So we're testing our fans, we're testing our batteries, we're testing our motors, we're testing our avionics, our flight control system in these, you know, miniature system labs, right? Or in other people's test labs. And that is a really good way to keep an engineer's interest because they're developing really cool technologies at significant scale. So you're and seeing it as you so go. So you see it as you go. And then of course, you know, there's no getting around it. The best day in all of the, our lives as, as engineers is first flight day. Um, but that's leading towards that. And you start to see that vehicle come together. But it's a, the reason your question is good is because you can be tempted into going too soon to the vehicle prototype. We can slap together a prototype right. and, you know, do it at a smaller scale and fly it around. But that's not going to lead to the certified system 
with infrastructure, community acceptance, technology safety, and the business model. I mean, in the end, I'm getting paid and doing fun stuff, but we have to return on that investment. Uh, we're not just doing it for the sake of you know science or for the sake of technology movement. So we take a little bit of a different approach, and that's how we keep it fresh. So that's kind of the difference, too, between the startup, right? They're going for the smaller whatever just to get it out there. Yeah. And, and it's good for them because right. they can, it gets a lot of headlines and everything. And, and you learn a lot from- It's more funding. Yeah, yep, more funding. <laughs> for a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, funding is key. Well, yeah. that's, a, that's a good There's point. There's 200 is, folks trying to do right, this. So now. Toyota invested $385 million this round. You brought up a good point saying that as a legacy company, you have the benefit of knowing what you know. But as a startup, they have the benefit of having a bunch of cash. <laughs> yeah. So how do you deal with- them trying to poach your best people. I have a responsibility to the talent that's on my team to give them permission to innovate. Mitch uh, taught me this and then, and then I discovered it in myself that innovation's not about a process. It's about giving the great talent you have on hand permission to innovate. And once you do that, you're kind of get on your knees about, okay, now I need a process because ideas are coming at me so fast from these brilliant folks. So I owe them that. I owe them permission to be highly capable, highly intellectual about what they do. I owe them complex, challenging work because that's what stimulates all people who are engaged in their career. And then I owe them meaningful work. And that comes in spades for, for the VTOL uh, mission. So think about it. Every time an aircraft like ours launches, there's a life on the line. So that's a great meaning piece. The other thing is these vehicles are going to change our society. Can you just, just think for a minute of, you know, we go back to your Jetsons comment. It's everyone's dream to add the third dimension into their mobility solutions on a daily basis. We are going to transform society here. Um, one of the things we talk about oftentimes is the actual word mobility. So physical mobility and social mobility are actually linked. So if you can't move easily from place to place physically, you actually can't move so easily inside your society for the right job you want, the right sure. place to live, right. the right life for your for your children. And so that's what I owe to my folks so that when they get that offer from someone else or get, you know, get a call or a LinkedIn note from someone else that they turn away from it because I'm giving them a better opportunity. The, the other secret for Bell is we talked about a little bit. We are this perfect size. We're just big enough to fight the big boys like Airbus and Sikorsky and Boeing, Leonardo, who just, you know, dwarf us from a size standpoint. But we're small enough to give every engineer and every support function something great to work on. So you don't just sit and turn a crank at Bell for 10 years on one part. You can have systems that you work on and own. And then when you're done with that and you've passed on your knowledge, you can move on to another system. I often tell uh, my gang, look, I'm not interested in, you know, what tool you use to get it done or, you know, what school you went. I'm interested in your engineering mind. That's what I want you to express. And, and there's a lot of companies that can't offer that to you. And sometimes it's the startup that can't do it either because they're so busy trying to, you know, stay ahead of the Try to the keep curve. the money flowing. Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're playing a different game. Right, get yeah. the market or, or yeah. all right, we're going to, 
pivot because I know we've got a hard stop. So we're going to go away from all this great stuff because we could ask a hundred more questions. But some fun facts about you. What's your favorite food? Oh, my favorite food? I like it. just popped up here. (laughs) (laughs) I like a good New York strip. (laughs) All right. Medium rare. Oh, yeah. That's what I like as well. One skill you have that may not be widely known. I think I'm a pretty good writer. I have a dream still to write that great American novel, and, and I, I don't know that too many people know that about me. But I would have thought you had said carpenter. Yeah, you know, I, I love that too. Hobby but. as a carpenter. <laughs> uh, most memorable Eagles loss. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> that has to come from... Recent ones? Yeah, well, that, that, <laughs> one was, that one was pretty bad this year, but uh, I always it always hurts extra when it's the Cowboys or the, or the Redskins on. You know, we're, we're local here with the with the Cowboys. It's a great rivalry, but whenever I lose to those guys, it, it just hurts in a different way. <laughs> and then finally, what do you do when you're not working? I spend a lot of time trying to, trying to love on my family. Um, it's so important to me. I've got uh, two young girls and a, and a wonderful wife who really are the folks that enable me to do all this stuff because you can't do it without them. Um, so I spend a lot of time doing that. I spend a lot of time in my shop, you know, and then I enjoy being with uh, good friends like yourself, having a having a cigar and a, and a good whiskey once in a while too. So that, that is fun. Yeah. Three more questions. Who is or was your role model? I've had a lot of great teachers at Bell. We're like a family because of our size thing again, and there were great role models there. A classic is is the always the old man, you know, and it's because. Yeah, I, I don't know. People tell this story of, of wonder about that role model and because it, it seems like it all goes great in the end. But I, I tell a story about the, the struggles of it, too, because, you know, the times he gives advice and you ignore it and what that creates and and then the times that you accept it. Um, so he was great for me, somebody that accepted everything about life, given his experience and persevering through things um, in business, in the military and, and then just with his family. So uh, he was a great role model for me. If you could have dinner with any two people, living or dead, who would they be? I think Edison would be really fun. Um, he'd be in the dead category. I just watched uh, that movie on the current wars. Uh, it just seems like a great, great mind to to tap into and the way he thought about technology. And, you know, I, I, I like the Avengers, so I'll take a Tony Stark meetup sometime, too. <laughs> it's so, it's so funny. You know that's not real. Oh, darn. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so funny, the, the difference, what everyone said, you know, the two people. And uh, obviously, with your background, it's so on the other side of what everyone else has said, which obviously goes hand in hand with what you do. Yeah. It's always interesting to hear what people, who people would pick. Yeah. We got a lot of Jesus responses. Did you? Yeah. Well, I'm I think, never quite I think out of guilt, like right? to meet him too. Yeah, but, yeah. Out of guilt, you would be, but but then the answer on that would be, well, aren't you going to meet him anyway? Right. <laughs> you're going to have a meal with Hopefully. him at some point. Yeah. 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 So you're going to you're going to meet him anyway. Then you, well, we all hope, right? But you, you can save him for for later. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, all right. Finally, uh, Scott. I'm never quite prepared for those kinds of questions. I, I keep forgetting. <laughs> well, that's that, kind of why we. That's asking. why I never I never put them in the uh, outline you get. I want you to be on your feet. All right, so we end our podcast with a question for our next guest. So what question would you like to ask our next guest? All right, I'll set him up with a good one. How are you going to change the world? Ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Good question. Somebody should, you should always think about that though. If you can have, uh, it could be a big thing or a little thing. They all matter because it, you know, sums up to a change. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. This is a great format and great questions. Well, thanks for being here. Thank you everyone for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please like us and subscribe. Thanks.
Thank you. Thanks for listening to Title Talk. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating. And also be sure to subscribe on all major platforms, iTunes, Spotify, and more.